T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. a good idea have a point it makes it so much more interesting for the listener welcome to at your service brad young in with you this evening from now until 10 o'clock thanks for staying up late with us tonight we've got as we always do lots of things to dive into this evening whether it's law politics culture space we're we're gonna cover it all tonight here on camo x and I'm glad you're with us. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us uh, today. And I'm going to bring in Matt Pajeski here. Uh, today is National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Uh, again, why? I, I don't know who decides these, but but it really made me think, Matt. Before we dive into um, to uh, weightier issues this evening, sorry, that was not a really a good pun. Mm. But uh, what what's your favorite dessert? Oh, are boy. you a, are you a sweets guy? Not really. No. no, I usually load up on the on the meal where I'm not even. I don't even have room for dessert. But if I have to pick a dessert, I can't go wrong with just scoop of chocolate ice cream. Yep, that's good. Yeah, I, I like chocolate and anything. Chocolate brownies, chocolate pie. So chocolate cupcake day would would ring true with Matt Pajeski. That's right up my alley. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I'm like you. My wife sometimes when we're uh, we're at a meal, she'll say, "Now, Brad, don't forget there's going to be dessert." I'm like, oh, oh yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have an extra helping of potatoes or something Me than too. or an extra helping of meat or something. But you know, skip that. You can have the dessert. I don't care. But uh, but yeah, but I, I to, I'll tell you what. Have you ever had you ever had key lime pie? Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, real good. That's probably my favorite favorite dessert is key lime pie. But I got to tell you, I was at a restaurant once. I won't name the name because it's here in the St. Louis area. And as we looked at dessert, my wife knows I'm a sucker for key lime pie. And I want to see if you know what this is. So on the menu, they had something called deconstructed key lime pie. Now, mm. any idea what that would be like? Is it like a like an open face pie, like where all the all the ingredients are just kind of out? It's been deconstructed. It's like mushy pie or something like that. I don't know. Is yeah, it? It, it was like one of Elon Musk's missiles, okay. the rockets that goes up and then it it has a what was it a an unscheduled rapid disassembly. Yeah. I think is the Elon Musk term for something blowing up. It's No, no, no. Is that what the it, pie was? It didn't blow up. It was a rapid unscheduled disassembly. And and that's what this key lime pie was. It was just it was deconstructed. So what happened was they brought this thing out and it was like they took an ice cream scoop full of the key lime goop, and they made a 
ball out of it like a giant meatball. And then they stuck a little whipped cream on one side and then put a graham cracker and poked it in to the key lime goop. Interesting. It was disgusting is what it was. It tasted disgusting too? It did. Oh, I was going to say, it can can look bad, whatever. As long as it tastes good, that's fine. I can look past that. But if it tasted bad too, then there's there's no It was bad. It was bad. And so I, I, I said, listen, I never send stuff back. I, I said uh, this this is this should be banned by the Geneva Convention. Yeah, he, I mean, this is cruel and unusual punishment. We we got to send it back. So I <laughs> I didn't I didn't want that. But speaking of desserts, I, I took a picture. I was in a restaurant that I won't mention. I just showed the picture to to Matt, and I won't I won't mention the name of the restaurant. But it's a place that you have been, and it's a place I don't go to very often. And I was in there this week, and there's this giant sign. And I'm showing it to Matt. Of course, you can't show things on radio. But it's a sign that said, food allergy, question mark. And this is what it says. The peanut butter chocolatey crunch pieces used in the peanut butter crunch McFlurry contains peanuts. Now, keep in mind, it's called the peanut butter chocolatey crunch. And it's called the, and those are the pieces the dessert is called the Peanut Butter Crunch McFlurry, but they had to give a disclaimer that says, warning, the Peanut Butter Crunch McFlurry contains peanuts. Doesn't that disclaimer exist because somebody with a <laughs> peanut allergy ordered the Peanut McFlurry and had a reaction to it? Like, those those signs exist because idiots don't know what they're doing, and they order the, <laughs> they order the Peanut McFlurry with a peanut allergy and then want to sue whoever... Matt, you you have been uh, listening to me for a very long time, and you're correct. Every disclaimer that you've ever seen exists because somebody filed a lawsuit over that. So I, I wish I could have defended the lawsuit where a plaintiff sued and said, I'm sorry, I have a peanut allergy, and I'm going to sue you because your peanut butter crunch McFlurry contains peanuts, and I had an allergic reaction. Brad, I have a peanut allergy myself. Yep. And... You don't need to have a sign for me. I am I am a hypochondriac about ordering something that exactly. may have not, I stay away from most desserts because I don't know and I you don't, don't risk know. it. So you don't, you don't need a sign for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing it safe. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking every every employee, hey, does this have nuts in it or yep. traces or whatever? Yep. I'm extra safe. Yeah. So keep in mind, I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear here. I'm not mocking people with a peanut allergy. What I'm saying is, is that someone who had a peanut allergy ordered a peanut butter crunch McFlurry. And then had a reaction. Yeah. And, uh, and folks, that's why we have lawyers in this country. <laughs> oh, well, any discussion of dessert, I, uh, I had to throw that in because I literally saw that uh, this week. So I thought, oh, I got to take a picture of that. That is Radio Gold. Hey, speaking of Radio Gold, uh, I'm always interested, always fascinated by stuff in space. And this week we had a, a monumental achievement. First time in human history that we've actually gone out, grabbed a part of an asteroid, and brought it back to study it. Because if an asteroid, if it lands on the on the Earth, it's already gone through the atmosphere. It's burned up. You don't know if it, how much is charred, how much has been cooked away. So it's altered. It's adulterated. And so uh, but to go out and grab it in space and bring it home is a feat that is truly amazing. So... Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to a friend of the show, Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. He's an astrophysicist, 
And he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about a program that he's planning to perhaps visit one of the moons of Jupiter. All kinds of things right here on At Your Service. Don't go away. We'll be right back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Space, a final frontier. Thank you, producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski. Hey, welcome back to uh, Camo X. And yes, we're going to be talking about space this evening. And uh, we want to welcome to the show, actually a friend of the show, Dr. Ryan Ogliori, an astrophysicist at Washington University. Uh, Dr. Ogliori, it's great to talk to you again, and welcome back to Camo X. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's, it's really my pleasure. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you. In fact, I've been wanting to talk to you for a couple of weeks now because as I've been reading about this OSIRIS-REx mission involving an asteroid, I, I wanted to get your take on it because, listen, you're to me, you're the, you're the greatest space expert that I know. So give <laughs> us kind of an overview as to, you know, from a layman's perspective, what was this mission and uh, and why has it been in the news just this past week? Yeah, this is a great mission, and I'm on the mission team, so this really is in my wheelhouse here, this particular thing. So this was a NASA mission that was launched in 2016, and the goal was to go to an asteroid and gently sample it and bring about half a pound of, of asteroid dust back to the Earth where we can analyze it in labs like my lab here at WashU and labs all over the world to understand the primitive building blocks of the solar system, the organics that may have seeded life here on Earth, and as well as the, the water that may have helped life flourish on Earth. So this has been a goal for NASA for a long time. Um, it's technically very, very challenging, and lots of things can go wrong in space. And when something goes wrong in space, it just fails. And luckily, <laughs> lots of things a little bit went wrong with this mission, but it was a stunning success in the end. Yeah, I, I remember when uh, I, I believe this was years ago. There was a, a a mission to Mars, and someone apparently there was a discrepancy between using inches and feet and centimeters and meters, and uh, mm -hmm. and, and there was a spacecraft that that crashed on the on the planet, and uh, and so yeah, things can go wrong, but it's amazing when things go right. So just walk us through because. We, we hear this, Dr. Ogliori, and we say, okay, great, we, we brought back a piece to the asteroid. Oh, that's cool. But the logistics of finding the asteroid, of landing on an asteroid, of taking off, walk us through 
that, I mean, how that could be accomplished, because it's not like there's some guy in the basement uh, with an Xbox joystick that's making this thing work. Talk to us about how this happened. Yeah, that's right. I think that's one of the most exciting things. So they had to find an asteroid. This is a near-Earth asteroid that they could get to relatively easily. But then the sampling part of it is the real, the real exciting and, and dangerous part. Um, so we thought the asteroid, it's likely similar to meteorites we have on Earth. We know what the material properties of those, how strong they are. And we thought, you know, you could land on this. It would be like sand, being like landing on a sandy beach. Uh, we'll blow some, some gas into the sand and we'll collect it and we'll fire the rockets and go back up. But that's not what it was at all. The material properties of the asteroid was like a ball pit where your kids can sink to the <laughs> bottom of the ball pit. So the, the spacecraft <laughs> went down to collect the sample and it just kept going. It kept falling into the asteroid like it was quicksand. Wow. Uh, and it was almost lost. They fired the rockets and got it back. But, um, you know, they didn't really admit to this till later uh, how dangerous that was and how mm. close they were losing to losing the whole mission. It was very interesting. And this is the unknown. And this is what I like about space exploration is that we thought we knew it was good, what was happening right. with the asteroid surface. But we have no idea. We absolutely have no idea until we actually go there. And as I was talking about this topic with a friend of mine the other day, and obviously this friend of mine is nowhere near as geeky as I am, but uh, as I, because I'm excited to talk about this, and yeah, they weren't all that interested. But my point is, is that as I was bringing this up, they said this person said to me, "Well, why, why I don't understand why this is such a big deal because we can just go out and find meteorites anywhere. I mean, they're all over the place." And I wanted to correct him about how different it is when you collect a meteorite on Earth after it's gone through the atmosphere or pieces of an asteroid in its natural state. Walk us through how that makes such a big difference. Yeah, meteorites are fantastic. I think they're the most spectacular record of nature known to science. They're unbelievably amazing. I love meteorites. So meteorites are a biased record of our solar system, so we're only selecting material that has that strength to, to survive landing on Earth. So we're already getting rid of the less consolidated, the more porous, and that's the more primitive stuff that I'm especially interested in. So that stuff just burns up, makes night sh uh, shooting stars, but doesn't make it to the ground. And so immediately we're not getting the most interesting stuff here on Earth. Um, and like I said, that the material properties of this asteroid were far weaker than we thought. Uh, and also, when it comes to Earth, like, we're getting really good at finding things right away. But right when that sample gets to Earth, it doesn't want to be on Earth. It did not form on Earth. And so it starts to rust. Uh, organics, you know, little microorganisms start to colonize it. Uh, minerals uh, change immediately. And mm. so right even hours later, so we got this pristine sample that we're very, very careful of keeping pristine. And now we have that pristine space stuff that isn't contaminated by the Earth environment. We're, we're talking to Dr. Ryan Ogliori. He's an astrophysicist right here at Washington University in St. Louis. And, and Dr., uh, I know that there was some samples. I've seen the video of what these samples look like. Briefly tell us mm -hmm. what is the preliminary uh, preliminary results of the just examining this. Well, what is this made of? 
It's um, so it's it's dark. It, it's really really dark dust. So looking at it optically, it would look like uh, it almost looks like charcoal dust. Mm-hmm. And it does have a lot of carbon. It doesn't have as much carbon as a charcoal briquette. It's got about five percent carbon, which is a lot of carbon for an asteroid. It's very wet, meaning it, you don't you don't touch it, it wouldn't feel wet. But it has a lot of clay minerals in it. it seems to be about ninety percent clay minerals. Um, and we're doing, you know, some of my colleagues are doing the preliminary analyses right now, and I'll get some samples in the coming weeks. Um, so we're going to look for that interstellar signature that we hope is still intact, um, despite this kind of action of water on the asteroid. And uh, we're looking also at the timing of the formation of the, the dry minerals um, in this asteroid. And, and this is something that's going to be studied for quite some time, isn't it? Yeah, this is that's why I say sample return is the gift that keeps on giving. So we still like literally in my lab right now we're studying the the samples brought back from the moon 50 years ago. So we can analyze those with techniques that they could not have dreamed of in the 1960s when we first thought of going there. So we keep these samples very pristine and uh, at Johnson Space Center in Houston, uh, we keep those uh, pure and so we can analyze them for generations to come. So it's like uh, continually uh, discovering things with a, a space mission that lasts for generations. It's yeah. really great. Yeah, a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, we're, we're talking to Dr. Ryan Ogliori, and, and Dr., I noticed, and, and this I thought was interesting, you had an article that came out at the end of September in Slate magazine uh, talking about one of the moons of Jupiter called Io. Tell us about that article and what prompted you to write it. Yeah, so this is um, a mission concept that I'm leading with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California, and they, you know, built the Mars rovers. They all, they do all the super cool stuff. So what we were thinking about is kind of the next generation of this sample return idea. So I, OSIRIS-REx went to this near-Earth asteroid that basically has the same orbit of the Earth, um, partially because that's easy, and our next step is to go way beyond Earth and return something truly exotic. And Jupiter's moon Io is this amazing place. So a lot of the other planets and asteroids in the solar system besides Earth look kind of dead, like they were very active billions of years ago. The exception is Io because it's being pulled by Jupiter and is a volcanic world like Darth Vader's home world in Star Wars. It's just endless Mm. volcanoes. It's one of the most, it's the most exciting place in the solar system. So our idea is to, one of these, several of these volcanoes have plumes that are erupting uh, hundreds of miles into space. So we would fly our spacecraft through this volcanic plume, collect some of the dust and gas that's being erupted from the plume, and bring it back to Earth just like OSIRIS-REx did, the same capsule built by Lockheed Martin, all that stuff, and, and do the same thing, but return samples from an exotic place very, very far away. Wow. So to me, I was fascinated because if you think about, if the, if the layman thinks about where Jupiter is, it's exponentially further from the sun than the Earth, so it's obviously cold. The moons would seemingly be cold, and yet we have volcanic eruptions that send up plumes uh, upwards of 100 miles high due to volcanic action. What causes that volcanic action on Io? Yeah, so, yeah, it's amazing. I just... Once you start reading about Io, you can't, you can't stop. And so the thing that's causing that are tides. So just like we have ocean tides here on Earth, Io has tides of rock. And that's because of, it's so close to the massive, massive planet Jupiter that it's pulling on the mountains of Io. 
the mountain heights are increasing by uh, about 300 feet every day and a half. So you can watch mountains grow and shrink by, by 300 wow. feet over a day. Um, it's unbelievable. And it's that tidal heating that is liquefying the rock and creating magma and, and erupting these volcanoes on Io constantly. Oh, that is amazing. So lastly, I want to make sure that we get to this point. There's a possibility when you talked about this this plan that, that NASA may have, is there a possibility that if that plan to send a spacecraft to Io comes to fruition, would that be based right here in St. Louis? Yeah, that's the idea. So I'm the, the principal investigator, and these missions are, are run by the PI, the PI of um, OSIRIS-REx, was educated here at WashU, and now he's at University of Arizona. Um, so this would be you know, a WashU-led um, mission, and it would be very exciting for the university and the students in the area. It, it creates a lot of opportunity for education and, and technology development here in the St. Louis area. So that's another reason I'm excited about it. That That is definitely exciting. Last question. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. When When do you anticipate NASA making making that decision about whether to proceed with that particular mission? There, um, so this is uh, what's called a New Frontiers class mission, and those will be competed in a couple years. They haven't been real firm about the date yet, so we're continuing to solve all these amazing, you know, difficult engineering problems until then. And I was kind of thankful that we have this time because we're solving very hard and new problems, and I need some more time to figure <laughs> things out. So probably in a couple of years, well, uh, the competition will start. Very good. And and by the way, uh, I, I will tell you, it's not one of my favorite movies, but I did see the movie Outlander where Sean Connery <laughs> goes to I.O. And I was just trying to imagine, you know, if Sean Connery went to I.O. and he looked at the at the plates of tidally impacted rock. I mean, he could look at that, wonder about how it was done and, and reach the conclusion of it's shaken, not stood. Okay, that's that's there was a big lead up for a very that's, bad Sean Connery impression. That's good. I like that. Okay. Doc, doctor, we're going to continue to follow the stuff that you're doing at WashU. It's exciting. It's literally on the frontiers of science and exploring the frontiers of space. And thank you for for sharing your expertise with us here on Camo X. Great. Thanks for having me. Great. We will talk to you again soon. To Thank you to Dr. Ryan Ogliori. Hey, when we come back, we've got lots of things in the news this week. And uh, for the rest of the show, phone lines are open because there are issues that affect you that you may not hear being reported on a daily basis. 314-436-7900. Call or text right here on The Voice of St. Louis. X. what's under pressure today politics democracy civil rights freedom of speech all of those things are under pressure today and uh, in fact that perfectly leads me into the next topic uh, because I want to briefly mention about Jim Jordan I don't spend a lot of time talking about uh, political entities or political personalities because I like to talk more about the ideas behind them the concepts, why things matter, not just who did what and why. But to me, this this folds into this idea, this segment that we're going to talk about, 
which is, does democracy work? Is democracy still a valid form of governance? Because when you look right now at the House of Representatives, you can make a plausible argument that since the Republicans have taken control of the House, democracy hasn't worked very well because the way Kevin McCarthy had to get elected, the concessions that he had to make to become the Speaker of the House were such that basically any single member of Congress could oust him as the Speaker of, House, as Speaker of the House, and that's exactly what happened. And so now because of the margins, because of the of the uh, extreme positions of so many people, not just Republicans, but Democrats as well. When you put all that together, democracy doesn't seem to be working well. So Jim Jordan, he had a second vote today to be Speaker of the House, did not work. In fact, he lost ground from the first vote. And it looks like uh, the third vote will occur tomorrow. And, uh, you know, nobody knows. Uh, but at least the analysts that I follow suggest that that Jim Jordan is probably going to lose more support between now and tomorrow. And if that happens, the question becomes, who can be Speaker of the House? And it it absolutely impacts our democracy. We have a, a literal war right now in Israel, and our Congress cannot, they cannot even vote on what is the name of the day that follows Wednesday. Okay, They can't even vote on that in the absence of a Speaker. One of the ideas that's being floated, and I thought it was funny because right now we have something called the speaker pro tempore, which is just a Latin word for saying temporary speaker. Okay, that's all. That's all it is. But this guy who is is named uh, Patrick McHenry, he's a he's a Republican, um, but he's just really has zero power. He can do nothing. He's just has that as a title until that slot can be filled. So there's a plan in Washington right now that would involve both Republicans and Democrats that would give the speaker pro tempore more power, at least to do some things, uh, and, until the Republicans can actually elect a speaker of the House. I guess my question is, how does that make you feel when you look at this idea of democracy that we can't even do any business. Now, one of the things, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote myself here just to show I'm not, I'm not necessarily being two-sided on this. I've said many times in the past that I'm to some extent in favor of gridlock government. Gridlock government is by definition when one party controls the House and one party controls the Senate. And I've been in favor of that position in times past because a gridlocked government is one that can't hurt us. A gridlocked government is one that can't enact stupid policies, that can't pass Obamacare, that can't do silly things because they're, they're blocked because of the struggle of power. But this isn't that situation, because even in a situation where you have gridlocked government, the government can still act to fulfill the necessary functions of government, pay for defense, fund Social Security, provide for government employees, build interstate highways. You know, the, even a gridlock government can do those things. But when you've got a government that has no Speaker of the House, at this point, we can't do anything. 
And so to me, that's taking it a little too far. And the context of this question, the reason why I wanted to raise that as a topic point is because a poll came out today that said 31% of Trump supporters said that America should explore alternative forms of government aside from democracy to ensure stability and progress. 31% of Trump supporters said that, according to this nationwide poll. It's a reputable polling company. And in the same poll, 24% of Biden supporters had the same opinion, that democracy doesn't work. Now, to me, I see this ostensibly from organizations like Black Lives Matter, organizations that are typically socialist, Marxist-based. I would expect that from someone like Cori Bush. I would expect that idea from someone uh, uh, like, um, well, Representative Ilan uh, Ilan Omar from Minnesota, who just this week texted out a picture saying, look at the atrocities being committed by the Israelis against the Palestinians. Unfortunately, uh, the picture was 10 years old. So, oops, we hate it when that happens. Darn it. Why couldn't I be more uh, be more uh, uh, contemporary? So just a little 10 years late there, Representative Omar. Uh, but in, And I find it ironic in that sense because she's the one who is desperately supporting a government agency that would fight disinformation, that would fight information that's being incorrectly disseminated. And yet she is tweeting out 10-year-old pictures asserting that this shows contemporaneous Israeli hate crimes against the Palestinians. So it's, I think the term is ironic. But people of her side, it's been always been easy for me to see, don't support a democracy type of government because that leftist philosophy says the few intelligentsia are far smarter, far superior than the rest of the populace. And so they should be the ones typically in academia who should be leading our country, and the rest of us should just be quiet and allow them to run our lives. To me, that's something I've noticed my entire life. But 31% of Trump supporters said that America should explore alternative forms of government aside from democracy to ensure stability and progress. And I just, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what might that be? Because from... From the left standpoint, I can understand that mentality, that the that the education class, that the academic class is far smarter and far more brilliant. But what is it when it comes from 31 percent of Trump supporters? Is it the idea that that they long for uh, a dictatorship or they long for one person to make these types of decisions? I just don't know where that philosophy or maybe that that statistic is completely wrong. But if 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 you're in that category, if you're either one of the 31 percent of the Trump supporters or in the 24 percent of Biden supporters who just thinks that democracy isn't working, I, I'm not going to argue with you or debate you. I I just want to hear from someone who thinks that's a good idea, because from my perspective, Democracy is an incredibly flawed institution. And at the same time, 
It's better than any other form of government that exists on the planet. Because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's why we have divided government. That's why that idea that the government is divided, to me, is our strength, not our weakness. And so it's our strength because it keeps us from all of the pitfalls that have, that have befallen other institutions of government as long as humanity has existed. But now we see that a majority, not a majority, but a significant percentage of both Trump supporters and Biden supporters are starting to have second thoughts about democracy. 314-436-7900. I would love to hear your perspective. Call or text right here on At Your Service. Brad Young, I'll be right back. Welcome back to At Your Service. And uh, we're talking about really the entire idea of democracy. Is it is it over? Is it has it uh, has it expired? Is it like a jug of milk whose time has come and it's time to pour it out? Or do we just not respect the idea enough? You know, a lot of times we get buyer's remorse. You buy something, you like it for a while, and then you're like, eh, um, maybe I wish I wouldn't have bought this. Uh that happens a lot of times with elected officials, right? We get buyer's remorse. But are we as a country, are we having buyer's remorse over the entire idea of democracy? In, in leading into this, I, when I first read this, I, I thought this was either something from The Onion or The Babylon Bee. I, I love both. One's from the right, one's from the left. I love them both equally because they're, they're very funny. But this is not either. This is neither The Onion nor... Babylon B, because last week the Board of Aldermen President Megan Green and and you know this this makes me proud to be a St. Louisan when I see the head of the Board of Aldermen calling for exempting the homeless from city ordinances that prohibit public urination and defecation. You know that that just that just really makes me proud to be a St. Louisan. And I would say you could march in the streets in support of this proposition, but you might step in something, all right? Because if you're if we're going to exempt the homeless from those ordinances, where's that going to lead us? Now, since she came out, others on the Board of Aldermen have come out against that proposal. But I guess first and foremost, should we be exempting the homeless from ordinances for public urination and defecation in the streets? Or is that like this, the, the, there was a concept that came out in the 70s. It was a philosophy or philosophical framework talking about crime. And it was something called the broken windows. And what broken windows is, is essentially this. It's a concept that's very simple in nature, that when police... Don't enforce broken windows. If someone's got a busted window in their home or apartment building or a condo, you got to fix it. Because if you have a collection of broken windows, it makes everything look kind of shabby, and then you start to have more car break-ins. And then you start to have more cars being stolen. And then from there, it just progresses into more and more criminal activity. It's the broken windows theory. 
So the idea is that you enforce the minor crimes that you you are you are adamant about policing the small things so that the small things don't develop into bigger things. But now if we have the board of aldermen president who thinks that it's okay to urinate in the street that people shouldn't be penalized for that or people shouldn't be penalized for public defecation. Think about how that fits in with the broken windows idea of law enforcement. I mean, it, it takes it to a whole new level, right? If it's okay, if it's okay to do that here, then why can't I bust into this car and steal what they have? If it's okay for me to to do these bodily function activities in broad daylight on the street, then why don't I just bust in the window and steal something from that store? I mean, it's the next logical step, just like the broken windows theory. And yet that's something that's not being proposed by by some extremist group. This is the president of the Board of Aldermen in the city of St. Louis. Now, thankfully, thankfully, she's in the minority here. And I'm not talking about race, talking about political ideology. She's in the minority on this position, and I don't think she's going to get a lot of support from because let's face it, they're all they're all Democrats, right? They're not going to get any support from the other Democrats that are on the board of aldermen. And I'm glad of that. But in, in addition, though, to exempting the homeless from these types of city ordinances, Board of Alderman President Megan Green also wants to exempt the homeless from ordinances like uh, panhandling or loitering or these other types of laws. Now, if you remember, there was a there was a homeless encampment that was on the grounds of City Hall for weeks. And do you remember why that got moved? It wasn't out of some sense of we want to clean up the city. It wasn't out of some altruistic idea that says, you know, homeless people shouldn't be living in tents on the City Hall grounds. Let's move them into housing that's more respectable, that, that, that honors someone for being a person and doesn't punish them for being down and out financially. No, it wasn't out of any of those reasons. It was because Kamala Harris was coming to town, and folks didn't want to, particularly the mayor, didn't want to be embarrassed to have a homeless encampment around City Hall. So to me, what would it mean if it was okay if Kamala Harris, if Vice President Kamala Harris is here, and people are doing their business right there on the street, right in front of City Hall? Talk about ideas that would that would be bad for the image of the city of St. Louis. I mean, do we want that going on when there's next year when we're in the playoffs and we're competing for the World Series? Do we want that going on in downtown St. Louis? Of course we don't. Of course we don't. And so this falls into this whole idea of, is democracy really working? Now, again, my perspective is, just to make it clear, I, I always like to raise questions, but I want to make sure you understand, I'm coming from the perspective that Democracy isn't the problem. Democracy is the solution. Because if you look at voting in the few seconds we have left here, voting in this country has never been lower. Voting participation has never been lower. So to me, the problem isn't too much democracy. It's not enough democracy. We don't vote. We don't get involved. We don't understand the issues. We're too busy at our jobs and playing Xbox or whatever it is. More democracy, to me, is the solution. It would be the solution for a lot of the ills in the city of St. Louis, fighting crime, 
getting rid of homelessness, attracting businesses. Those ideas could all be improved with greater, greater participation in democracy. We talk about big ideas here on At Your Service. And after this break, we're going to talk about some other big ideas, but especially yours. 314-436-7900 on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 